Hello, I'm Susan Dunlop and welcome to another episode of Coffee and Contemplation with Susan. If you're new to the podcast, thank you for coming and if you've been here before, welcome back. Today, my guest, I was originally going to approach from a different perspective. Um, she's a writer or an author and she also works with other people's content and I was going to ask her, how does that work, you know, doing work on other people's written words, you know, the good, the bad, how does she bring her gifts into play? You know, does she want to give up? You know, I could imagine I would give up and I could imagine I would swear a lot in my head if I was trying to work out what to say. So that was where I was going to go. But instead, I've decided to honour her as a woman herself. And I would like to actually find out more about her. So yes, as a writer, but also, you know, what makes life good and bad and, you know, what is it she's now working on that's um, moving her forward at this stage of her life? So today's guest is Melinda Ace, a former high school teacher, and um, yes, she's a business owner now, a self-published author, and she creates beautifully sculpted uh, written content for other people who throw manuscripts on her desk. I met Melinda through a referral when I needed my own book to go to the next stage of editing. In that, I actually then got to witness uh, Melinda launching a shared project that she had called Women Inspired. It was a book that was being launched, a collaboration of three women in showcasing other women on the Sunshine Coast, absolutely beautifully written, beautifully photographed, and just an absolutely amazing presentation. And there was a huge celebration that I got to go to. So that was my beginning of meeting Melinda. We've since edited the book together, and that's been an amazing journey as well. can't believe what she's done in changing all my wording around to make sense. Today's just about her. So this is Melinda's story and I'd like to welcome you, Melinda. Thank you for having me. And I, wow, I sound so impressive. <laughs> you put it all like that. <laughs> like, <"Hey."> <laughs> Who's she talking about? <laughs> Who's she talking about? That sounds like a really go, that sounds like a real go-getter. Yeah, yep. I think you are. It's good to have this chat. We've been trying to do it for a while, but I sort of, I, I know you work around young children and, yes. and all your travels that you seem to do as well. So how about, as usual, we start just a little bit at the beginning of life, where you were, all that type of thing, and then we'll move a little bit through what you're working on and what, you know, what's of importance to you, what would you change in the world? And um, always we end, you know, with a mantra or words, you know, get you through tough times and a, a favourite song. So is that okay? We'll go in that sort of path. That sounds cool. great. Great. So have you always been on the Sunshine Coast? Were you born and bred here? No, so I grew up in northern New South Wales in the hinterland of Byron Bay and I lived on a farm with a very normal family and worked on the farm a lot and, yeah, my, my childhood was idyllic. I lived in Byron or around Byron at a time where it wasn't overrun with tourists and, you know, you could get into town and life was, it, it was really beautiful. So now when I go back there, I'm like, oh, it's just it's not it's the same it's always going to be home but it's not a, it's not the same as when I was there which I'm, sh I'm sure happens to a lot of people but so yes yeah, so I was on lived in northern New South Wales went to uni in Brisbane worked up here on the coast and then back down on the Gold Coast and yeah okay my mum was a primary school teacher my dad was a truck driver and then they had a farm as well um so ah. I spent I spent uh, a lot of time picking and boxing up ladyfinger bananas or tomatoes mm. or zucchinis or, yes, if you want a zucchini recipe, I've got it. The old fritters, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. What did you want to be when you grew up, you know, and how did that turn out for you? I don't know. I don't think many people do know. I knew that the idea of 
living in a big city and being an office worker and wearing high heels and, you know, pencil skirts and that really appealed to me and, you know, being on a train and riding to, you know, with a coffee or whatever. So I had the ideal of the lifestyle but actually no real idea what I wanted to do. And I talk about this in Women Inspired as well but I was always quite creative. I won a poetry competition when I was nine and it was just like, I could do this. But it was like the Bangalore CWA poetry competition. I think probably only three three kids entered and they went, well, this one's got no spelling mistakes, so that'll do. (laughs) Yeah, no, the idea of becoming like either a librarian or a writer, I was always really interested in literature and history and things like that, which is what I went on to do at uni in a very nebulous arts degree and then Yes, I was sat down and said, what are you going to do with this arts degree? And I said, I don't know, move to Sydney, to which, yes, it's not really. Anyway, so then I took up an art education degree as well and sort of jammed that into the last two years of uni and became a high school teacher. So did you ever go to Sydney? No. Would you ever want to go to Sydney now? No, not now. And, I, you know, it's that thing you find the city's so exhilarating but then it's also so nice to just see green space. And I've, I've, what I've worked out is that I'm much better in a green or a blue space than I am in a city space. And I think where we live, we, we do, you, you come across people that can stay here or live yeah. here and people can visit here yeah. or be in the city. But, yeah, I'm the same. I came from Sydney and I just so appreciate this space, mm, always yeah. coming home. Noosa is, is phenomenal and, like, even yeah. just being able to, you know, walk down to the beach or just go for my little walk through the beach paths and along the national park and it's mm. and I do love being just surrounded by bush and nature and yeah, it's a real it's a meditative, rejuvenating space. So given your early passion for writing, even if it wasn't you know a poem with three people in the competition, has there been books across your life that have been life changing to you? Is there anything particular that stands out to you? I'm gonna go off piste a little bit. And talk about Jane Austen, who I I was living in Bristol in the UK and living that city life on a train, going to work and back. And I read all of Jane Austen's books again and the creativity that she had for witty, you know, word pictures and conversations and characters and plot and all of that sort of stuff. Really, I really, really enjoyed that. And that was really quite inspiring and something that I'd aspired to create in a lot of my own creative writing ever since then. So that was about 20 years ago. Recently, a book landed in my lap via a friend who was reading it and she said, oh, I picked this up off a Caravan Park book exchange, but I don't think it's for me. I think you'll probably get more out of it. And that was uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. She's the author of Eat, Mm. Pray, Love, which I didn't like at all. I I liked it from a travel perspective and, you know, she went to all these great things and a few different um, anecdotes. But, you know, from the whole finding herself business, I found it quite narcissistic, I suppose. But the messages within Big Magic are it did it did feel like the book was written for me because it was all about basically finding that magical space where you are creative and where you find the best of yourself and being able to draw that out and then you know producing whatever it is that you're producing so she gives examples of people who dance or you know or do mosaics 
you know, if, if it's cooking or mm-hmm. it's whatever and finding that passion, that creativity. And then she also talks from an author perspective about being able to create those things and then let them out into the world and how that can be really difficult, which of course it is for me. And her whole thing was you've, once you've done it, you've done it. You can't control how people react to whatever thing it is that you have created so once you've done it if you're happy with it you just actually need to let it go and just pop it off into the into the ether and that was really really helpful for me I was struggling with doing my own creative writing and I guess really dropping in and stepping up to to this idea that you know I could be a creative writer or I could be a writer and that could be my actual profession wow I knew I was good at it and I knew I could do it and I was getting great feedback, but it never occurred to me that I could actually make a business out of it and, you know, move forward with something that was creatively mine. So, Because I imagine it's it's quite draining to have to find the words and reshape someone else's words, like like Women Inspired as an example. Like you, you had, was it 49 women, was it? Yes. So yourself and 48 other women, you had to shape their story to fit into a page. Yes. So I had 500 words. Wow. Which is crazy Mm. (laughs) when you think about someone's (laughs) life. And some of the women in this, like I would be interviewing them and just say to them, this is a book, it's not a 500-word article. And they they would just look at me and go, well, good luck with that. And I went, okay, thanks. (laughs) And so... It was really, it was a really good exercise in being very, very concise and using words really, really carefully. Mm. And also just trying to fit, I guess, the structure and the style with the person themselves. And yeah, it was a, it was a very wonderful, inspiring, but also exhausting process. Mm. And it was, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful to have been, um, to have worked on that project. So as in terms of talent for you, like you had to actually do that. Did that do sort of like what Liz Gilbert was saying and did you have to release your worry about what it was going to come and you you dropped into that total creative you to make that happen? No, it was a bit different because they weren't my stories. So it was my writing and I was shaping the story, but it wasn't my thoughts or my history or my anything really. Okay. So it, it was a different kind of process, but it was still, I had some fairly full-on anxiety or anxious moments um, leading up to it being released out into the world, uh, absolutely, yeah. because I was just wondered, you know, will everyone hate it and will every, will, will the women not like it? And Oh, God. <laughs> even though they'd already seen their individual stories and had approved them and all the rest of it, I was still just, oh, you know, will people think I'm a fraud and, you know, all that sort of, I don't know, is it imposter syndrome or whatever it yeah. is? It's, um, yeah, it was, it was a, it was quite an anxious moment and now I've got a new project that I'm working on and I'm finding that because it's based on my experiences that that is, yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a block but I'm working my way through that. Okay. So that's fine. Oh, yeah. Yes, I'm going to touch on that because I know about that. Oh, oh okay. Um, before we get to that though, so, yes, okay, so you talk about block just then. And yep. um, so when you've actually set up a project to do, what's the most valuable piece of advice you've been given about getting it done? 
uh, just do it. Okay. <laughs> just, All right. just do it. Just sit down, start writing and just get into it. You can't. And I guess the other thing is just plan. like I plan everything, even if I'm doing. So I write, I ghostwrite for high school principals and I might do their newsletters and they'll sometimes they just give me a topic and it might be uniform and I've got to write 500 words on uniform and even that I have to structure out and think well how can I do this in a way that is both inspires parents to kind of go hey come on do your uniform but also um you know shows the principal in a good light shows a school in a positive light um yeah so it's touching on all of those things Mm. but yeah plan planning is that you've got a plan if you just sit sitting down and just writing is just writing for writing's sake which is a wonderful exercise but if you if you've got a project you can't do that no i mean i'm i've give all this advice and i still do it where i'll sit down and i'll write a sentence then i'll delete it then i'll write another one then i'll delete that then i'll write another one and delete it and then i think you're an idiot just (laughs) sit down write the structure and you know your structure can it only has to be like for just a topic or a word or something like that but at least then you've got some flow and some direction and then it, it just it's just better yeah otherwise yeah yeah have a plan have it a bit of a plan a bit of a plan yes okay so if you could be anything other than a wordsmith what would it be on holidays Susan <laughs> always mm, you're a bit good at that aren't you I am a bit good at being on holidays. Mm. I do love a good holiday. Okay, so you, so your husband's also like minded in that way. Yes, he also loves holiday. Oh, fabulous. Uh, uh, not, he's turning more not so much loves holiday, but just doesn't like working. So okay. that's a bit of a difference. Yeah. So wow. But yeah. So yes. I know you've been away this last weekend, but I, I heard along the way that you're a bit of a legend in terms of you <laughs> risked taking two very small children with your husband on the road for an extended time. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that and maybe you know, yeah. what was a good part about it, what was a bad part that you now don't cry about but you laugh about? So my husband and I, when the kids were, um, we had an 18-month-old and a four-year-old, she'd just turned four, um, and we decided to rent our house out and buy a camper trailer and go around Australia for a, a year. Wow. Just short of a year in 2014, which... I know lots of families do it now, but when we did it, there were no families on the road. Like we didn't see a kid for months. Um, and it was only until we got to around, I think it was um, Western Australia, that we, we, actually, we actually met another family about four months in, or three or four months into our trip. So we, we've, we have a pop-top camper trailer and the top goes up and the beds come out and we roll up to camping sites in the middle of nowhere and everything would pop out and then suddenly just this circus tent of ridiculousness would come out of the camper and it'd be high chairs and tonka trucks and prams and it would take us so long to set up and the kids would just be they just became so feral and we'd be sitting next to other people and they'd say what is wrong with you two and we'd kind of look at them and go what do you mean they said this is crazy you have got so much work putting this like going around Australia with these kids and at the time we just went oh I'm like oh it's okay it's fine it's actually great and then we went on another trip in 2019 so five years later where we went um just did a half lap so went up to the Northern Territory and over to WA and the kids then were seven and nine I believe was it eight and ten 
oh, I don't know. They were much older. They could fend for themselves a little bit better. And we uh, we got about a month or two into this trip and I looked at my husband and I just said, what, we were crazy. What were we thinking? This is so much easier. <laughs> we were absolutely nuts. It really was the most wonderful experience and, yeah, there were, it was great to be together but I think as a family, certainly, but as an Australian, that first trip around Australia, I was I was actually very reluctant to go on it because I thought it's, Australia is the same. It's going to be the same meat pie in Darwin as it's going to be in Perth and the accent's going to be the same, the culture will be the same, the history is the same. You know, the only thing that's going to change is the caravan park we're going to be in, mm. which I couldn't have been more wrong about and it really, the, the trip really was an awakening to the, not only the, the diversity of our country but also just how rich we are in cultural, historical, spiritual sense here. And it, it's just, I, I remember I, I, I blogged the whole trip, which was actually the start of me going, oh, actually, I think I probably could become a writer. Ah. That's where it all started. And I remember in one of the posts, I just, I wrote something along the lines of stop going to Bali, stop going to Vietnam go to Darwin, go to Kakadu, go to Exmouth, like spend the money to stay in this country and experience what we have here, which is so phenomenal. And, yes, it's more expensive, but, you know, we can't, We almost have a duty really to at least be a little bit more involved in the country that we're in, mm. I think. Mm. I think it's been forced upon so many people now, hasn't it, that I believe, well, it has. I believe now you've actually got to pre-book everywhere to get your campsite even. You do. We went on a little six a six week trip up to far north Queensland, and it was it was um, an eye opener in not only the amount of people that were on the road traveling, which was great, but also the amount of people with really young kids, and you know they were in it for the long haul, like people doing two, you know, have sold everything and they bought this caravan, and now they're going off around Australia, which frightens me from a financial perspective, but you know they were, they were loving life and I'm which I think is great and I just yeah it, it's it's really very very different now to when we went on that first trip mm. um which is as I said both a great thing but also you know we we like to turn up to free camps and not have anyone else near us but that's not happening mm. <laughs> I don't think I don't think we got one of those this time around. no okay so I'll, I'll get back to your best part and the best part that wasn't so good that you can laugh about but I was just thinking yep. that that maybe it's also just that you know everyone has now allowed their staff basically or been forced to allow their staff to be able to work remotely so people's eyes have opened up to the possibility that Mm. you can work from wherever you are in Australia yeah and I think that's great too like I I love the idea of you know all these country towns that are suddenly springing back to life because people are going there and and investing in the town and and working you know in remotely like I think that's fabulous Mm. Oh, so the best part that I can, the best part yeah. or the worst part yeah. that I can laugh about? Oh, the worst part was when we were in, uh, and this had nothing to do with kids, this had everything to do with us being idiots. We were driving, I'll go for the worst part that I can now laugh about. <laughs> There's been a worse part since then that I can't actually laugh about Ooh. yet, but we survived that. But the first one was in our 2014 trip and we had decided to go up into the Coburg Peninsula with people that we met on the um, road and this is in sort of the far north of Arnhem Land. 
But just in regards to when we were there, it was the very end of the wet season. So they basically opened the roads up and we went the next day. And in Kales Crossing, which is near Jabiru, it's at the top of Kakadu National Park, the water crossing, it's quite a, it's, it's a fine crossing to do if the tide's low, like there's just a little bit of water going over it, but at 600 mils, uh, 600 millimetres, you're not supposed to cross mm-hmm. and it's croc infested, it's terrible. Anyway, so the first time we go over, I was not very happy about it. It was about 50 mils um, or 40, uh, sorry, 50, 50, 45 millimetres, 55, it's sort of coming up to the, almost the top of the tide. Okay. We got across. That was fine. The 250-kilometre trip up to the National Park took about eight or nine hours. It was horrible. It was just everything was so wet. We were driving through these huge muddy washouts. We didn't know what was in the washout, whether they were crocodiles. <sighs> so that was horrible. <laughs> Get out the top. We spend a week up there. That was great. We come back down that eight, eight or nine-hour trip was came down to about five hours just because the roads had dried up properly and we were able to get through. But then we got to Kales Crossing and no one's coming across. You could see a big line of cars lined up on the other side. There were a couple of cars on our side. No one's moving. No one's going anywhere. My husband looks at the the measuring stick and he goes, that's 60 millimetres. I'm going across. I'm like, no, we shouldn't go across. No one's going. Let's just... No, no, that's that's not a good idea. And he just put his foot down and off he went. And um, it was just one of the most frightening things mm. we've ever done. And he, the tide was still coming out. Oh, whether it had just turned, I don't know. But he had to actually turn the wheel into the current so that we stayed on the crossing. Uh-huh. And on the other side, this will be aboriginal people there you could see people starting to sit up and take people started running down to watch us cross which is when i knew holy shit like this is not this is really serious but we're here and it, but it was really one of those moments where i just i just couldn't laugh about it it was so frightening oh and yeah. but you know of course my husband was he thought he was i don't know king kong or something he, he was he was very he he thought he'd done this amazing job whereas i just kind of thought this is this is where people become news reports like yes it just we were so lucky and that was so stupid but anyway in, in that womanly i'm gonna die we're all gonna die well it was and i just looked at the kids and i thought what am i gonna do like there's croc there's crocodiles oh. everywhere but anyway so we we did make it across but it was just a really stupid I believed it was a really stupid move. Uh, and yeah. Oh my God. Anyway, so it's like one of those yardsticks be like, oh, it's not as bad as that time as such and such. But yeah, so we've we've had another moment since then, but that's that's still in the that was really bad. I can't laugh about still it. Still being mulled over that one. Okay. <laughs> it is. It is. Do you reckon though that uh, yeah. any story about a holiday is actually that type of thing? that actually is the stories about your holiday? Is that stuff that's the really crazy, how the hell did you think that was a good idea stuff? Yeah, of course. Like that's the the gold. And like even things like we'd hitch up the car, like reversing the car and getting the camper trailer hitched up and just, you know, be aware that every time that we did it, that was coming off the back of anywhere between 45 minutes to an hour and a half to two hours worth of packing up. So, you know, you're starting your morning. So f- first of all, you know, and the kids yeah. need to go to the toilet yeah. and this one's, I don't know, needs something to eat or where is that other one and blah, blah, blah. So 
by the time you're ready to hitch the the camp the car up to the camper, you just you just want to get out of there. Yes. But of course, reversing it in can be quite tricky <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes I'm not watching properly. As sometimes my husband comes back too fast, and so you know he would get really frustrated with certain things and I would get really frustrated and we'd be, you know, the kids would be finally in the car, we'd be putting the chains on and, and I'd be there we'd be swearing at each I'm not going to repeat it here because it's not fit for, <laughs> you know, a PG kind of thing but would like would turn you, curl your toenail, your toe hairs oh kind my of God. thing. The language that we used towards each other was just so frustrated. Yeah. And I hate, I hate you and I wish I'd never come and I will, I don't know, I don't, how did you get to be this way and, you know, all this sort of <laughs> stuff. And then by the time you take the chocks out and, you know, I've checked the indicators and I get in, I'm like, oh, do you feel like I haven't made lunch? I'm sorry. And he'd, and he'd turn and go, that's okay. Go, do you want to have a pie or a burger for lunch? Oh, whatever you want. <laughs> You sound like a typical old Glaswegian Scottish couple. Oh, it was just, it was kind of also one of those things where it's like you cannot stay mad at each other. You've just got to move on and just have your little moment and recognise it for what it is and that is the frustration of the moment and then just move on. So, yeah, that was it. It was actually a really good thing for our relationship to have to go through all of that. But, yeah. Here we are. You've, you've come <laughs> on out, the other side. You've come out the other side of the croc-infested waters, so that's all good. We have, yes. and we survived, but also not. Yeah, just maybe a little, little, a little scar <laughs> emotionally. Hey, what I was going to just—I think that brings us around. We're actually not far from the end now. So what I was going to do is, how about we just Ooh. have a chat around what you just said about the awakening, because I believe that's got something to do with a big personal project you're going to work on um, in relation to the traditional oh, yeah. owners of the land and that spirituality and yes. all of that. Talk about that for a little bit. So one of the um, things that has slowly I think it started on that trip, but it has, I've certainly sort of leapt ahead with it since then. It gets a bit woo-woo, but, you know, I think once you've been, there's certain areas in this country that are untouched by, I guess, are more untouched by white culture and or colonialist culture, I suppose, and you have a greater understanding of the spiritual connection that traditional owners have with country. And that became very, very prominent from, I guess, outback Queensland through the Northern Territory and then over the top of WA through the Kimberley and the Pilbara regions. Mm -hmm. And that was really eye-opening for me. And it was a real, like, I've, I've always, I guess I've always lent to the left, but once we'd been there, like a few things like, you know, we'd, we'd been to the Kimberley and we'd seen these incredible vistas and, and pristine places and um Karajini National Park which is sort of sits in the middle of iron ore country and it is just the most spectacular place to visit and then you travel a couple of hundred k's down the road and you're sitting at the open cut Tom Price at Tom Price which has an open cut mine and We'd done all these amazing natural national parks and, you know, camping on the side of the road and just these beautiful, beautiful places. And then you, we did this, the, sorry, the Tom Price mine tour where you get on a big, a big bus and they take you up to the top of the mine so you can have a look at it. 
and all the trucks and they let you know about, you know, how, how they get the iron, how they get it all out and where they take it and, you know, that female truck drivers are better than the male ones and blah, 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 blah. And we got to the top of this mine and we looked out over this huge pit and you could they had literally moved a mountain. It was just so sad and I was just and also disgusting. Like I thought I cannot believe that this has happened to this country and, and like I, I think back to Avatar and I think you know that's a you know the movie Avatar yeah. which is a really good metaphor for colonization and the guy says oh you chuck a rock in the air and it'll land on some sacred site over here and, <laughs> and it, he, he, he says that and it's but you know clearly shows how little knowledge he has and I I feel like a lot of people in Australia feel like that about traditional owners and their connection to land Mm. and that was one of them like I looked at this massive mine and just went this is this is so horrible and awful and I guess yeah and I think so things like that but also um things like in some communities where alcohol is allowed you can see the deterioration that that has led to amongst aboriginal people there and then in other senses where you know there is a really strong community like they're really they're proud and that stand up for their everything that's happening around them and i it just it was just a real eye opener for me Mm. really and from I, I think if you go back to the Kakadu as well, like some of the some of the art galleries that we went to on the walls there of the naturescapes, you know, there's a couple of references to the um, ships, British ships coming in, or and when they first landed, and the lace gloves that white women used to wear, and it's, it's just it's like that little historical moment in time, and it's quite. Yeah, it was just sad. I just, I just felt really sad by the whole thing, and I thought this is, you know, the only way that I could fix this or hope to, you know, what can I do? Mm. And I guess a lot of that is centres around, well, acknowledging that this country was, this country was actually beautifully looked after by traditional owners, and we have, or co- colonial management has removed them, and as such, we're finding ourselves in a space where we've lost connection to the land, where we could have this amazing connection to the land. Yeah. And yeah. Not, not being particularly articulate. No. So, so that's where you're sort of going in terms of what can you do versus sitting back and just watching and forgetting you, you're actually. Yes. Action. Like it's not for me, for me, that trip has not become just a, Oh, we went here and then we went there and then we did this. It's that trip has become like all good travel has become I learnt this or this is what I've taken away forward from that trip. This is this is what I now want to do in my own space. Mm. And here, you know, I come in and out of bush care. So we have a bush care um, group that operates just at the back of Sunrise Beach here. And I, when I can, I go down and that feels really good. It feels good to think, well, I'm taking care of this country and I think that, you know, f- from a white woman's, I'm very educated, I'm, I'm extremely privileged in my lifestyle and, and my position, but I think we are all on country now and you can't kind of say, if you, if you identify yourself as Australian, you have to take some kind of custodial ownership mm. 
of this land and that means not acting or looking at it as well I own it so therefore I can do what I want with it it's more of this country is important and we need to start we need to look after it and respect it yeah and that's where you're going with um the book that you're yeah so I'm trying I'm writing a book about connecting to country as a as as who I was and what that process felt like and really as I guess a call to arms for all of us just to I guess you know we were talking before the interview about social media and about how there's a disconnect there between what our lives are really like and what we are presenting to the world and I think that this kind of ties into that in that we need to ground ourselves in the space that we're in especially with climate change and all that sort of stuff that's happening as well like you can't you can't just sit in your house and go well it's hot today I'm going to turn on the air conditioning and I'm ignoring all this climate change stuff like we have to all we have to come together and make some kind of you know stand against the fact that our planet is warming and our lifestyles are going to change ridiculously in the next you know, couple of decades. Yeah. I mean, my children's lives, my children's lifestyle is going to be vastly different to what, you know, I'm living at the moment if things aren't changed drastically. Exactly. And so this, this book is the book that I'm writing is hopefully one one more little brick in that. I don't know, is brick the right metaphor to use? Maybe one one new planted tree in the forest of you know regenerating our 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 world oh you just made me move into feather brick truck stories but anyway but yes it could be a brick in that respect as in (laughs) it's for people to actually read it rather than get to the truck and you know find out that we've gone too far so maybe the book will actually help people stop going that next step you know so yeah I hope so and I I think as well like I we do a lot of camping up at Tiwa on Noosa North Shore and I see the way that people just totally disrespect that national park and that area and that it makes me so angry and I I think you know if you're entering these areas that are so special and so pristine you actually have to respect that and there's just this I think there's a real element that don't see that so I was talking to the one of the rangers up there and he, he said he goes I'm sure they act very normal in their day-to-day lives but it's like they come across that ferry get onto the beach and put a pumpkin on there it's like it's <laughs> like such a good sort of description yeah I totally agree with you it's like they just lose their brains and act like absolute morons yeah but I like that I think and the other part of it which we won't have time to go into is I'm just thinking about what you said about Liz Gilbert and what's the most valuable piece of advice and about writing I can imagine in you pulling that together you're going to go through lots of fears about what to actually write about so maybe one other time when you get closer to the end I'd love to have a chat with you about your journey through yeah. writing that book would be really cool well it's it's interesting like when I first started thinking about writing the book I thought oh, it'll be easy I'll just take all the blog posts and I'll just put linking sentences and bingo bango there will be my book but uh no it doesn't work like that <laughs> and I've actually I started I had sort of a bit of a plan and then I started writing and then I've actually I haven't scrapped everything that I've done but I've gone back to the planning stage and now my plan goes for I don't know it's like I think I'm, I think I'm up to about the 10th page on the plan um, as opposed to the 
one page that I had started with, but it's making things a lot easier. So there you go. When you're writing, planning, mm. plan. Mm. Yes, learning, plan, learning, plan, learning, plan. learning. So tell me, what is your favourite <laughs> quote or a poem or a book that gets you by in hard times? The quote would be a friend of mine and unfortunately it's also a very recognisable slogan and that is just do it. Oh, yes. A client had approached me to do something that I'd never done before and I was like, oh, I don't know whether I should do it and I don't know how to do it and, I'm, you know, I know I probably could do it. And she said, oh, God, this is so boring. She said, you'll be fine. Just do it. <laughs> you'll work it out. She goes, you're a smart lady. You'll work it out. It'll be fine. And I went, oh, okay. And did it? <laughs> you're right. Did it work? It did. It was fine. I mean, I, you know, had a few, about half an hour to write out an invoice for it, but, you know, that's, it's all learning. So it was, it was fine, yeah. but there's that. And I have, um, with favourite music, I have rediscovered a love of soul train type mm. music. So yes, ah. I've got a, that's where I'm at. Oh, that's good. It sounds a bit like our house really, you know? Yeah, I love it. It's because, you know, it's that beat. It's like, ooh. So you know what? We are so at time and... I, I love that talk about country and about your trip. So I think that was a really lovely piece to put in. I don't think I've actually had anyone on that's actually talked about doing something as amazing as that. So thank you for sharing that. And also just thank My you pleasure. for letting us weave our way along one path of your life picture today. So yeah, thanks for coming. Oh, thank you, Susan. It's so lovely to speak to yeah. you. I um, I love, yeah, love our chats. I know, I know. As I said, sorry, people listening, because we could actually talk forever as usual. So um, yep. I will leave it there with Melinda <laughs> now. And listeners, I hope today's messages sit with you. And, you know, if you're finding anything of uh, what Melinda's been through or thinking about resonates or actions or even books to, worth picking up, you know, that's the point of having these stories shared. So I'm Susan Dunlop. This is my passion project, you know, having women share their stories for themselves and for the greater good. And Outside of that, I'm a coach and trainer. That's my day job. The show is available to listen across eight platforms. Episode 40 was the first I put on video. Melinda and I decided not to do that today because the, uh, the connection was really bad. So the audio you might have heard was breaking up early on. So we ended up switching just to audio and uh, it was good enough, as I think, just listening. So thank you, everyone, for listening today. And thank you, Melinda. And until next time, take care.